welcome back to another episode of Force Proximity. I'm Jonathan, and with me is my wife and romance author, Megan Montgomery, and our special guest, Petra Orloff, for also Beverly, author. also romance author, <laughs> for our Beverly Jenkins episode of the book Rebel. So... From what I've been hearing, Megan has been relaying information from what she thought and what you thought. So this is going to be a a fun show. <laughs> I think so, too. I'm looking forward to speaking about it. So, I don't before... know if I am or not. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't know if I'm looking forward to this. We're going to no. see. We're going to see how this goes. Well, it's going to be great. Okay. If if anything, we'll we'll get off on our side conversations like we always do, and those will be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we do anything, we haven't done trivia in a very long time, and since it is the closing ceremonies tonight, we are doing Winter Olympics trivia. What the shit? I haven't watched any Winter Olympics whatsoever. Well, I, I think <laughs> it's just overall trivia of not of this year. Okay, good. Just of the Winter Olympics. Good, because I was about oh, to, to protest. Many, how many, <laughs> I, how many I gold watched, medals did China win this year? No. I watched just, what did I watch? The second period of the gold medal hockey game, and that's all I've watched this year. Which went to Norway, correct? No, it went to Finland. Finland. Well, same difference, right? <laughs> very, very <laughs> different. Very <laughs> different. I'm now, just if you, kidding. If you said I'm Norway and Sweden... That would be the same thing. I'm I'm just so being a, a terrible American. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. There is. Oh, I think this book would beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I got nothing. All right. So, question one: Where were the first modern Winter Games held? Moscow, Russia, Salt Lake City, Utah. Stockholm, Sweden, or Chamonix, France? France. That is correct. Are we well, dinging? We... I don't care. I think okay. I think you can just no, say it. No, just whoever says it first. Yeah. And this is all Winter Olympics. So when you just say Olympics, I'm to assume it's winter. It's all winter. Okay. All winter. All right. The eighth... Olympic Winter Games saw the inclusion of which new women's competition? Bobsled, speed skating, ski jumping, or figure skating? Speed skating. Megan? Sure, I was going to say that too. Correct. It's in 1960 Winter Olympics, officially known as the 8th Olympic Winter Games, were held in Squaw Valley, California, included women's speed skating and men's biathlon for the first time. Hang on, what year was that? 1960? 1960. And that was eight? Yeah. Okay. The V, a V is a five, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so that's eight. What is the only indoor winter sport that does does not involve ice skates? I'm not going to give you... Curling! Yes, it's curling. That's my favorite. I used to curl. I used to belong to the Detroit Curling Club. Of Where course do you, you even did. do that? That doesn't. Where does that even happen at all? <laughs> it happens just a few miles away from my house, eh? 
<laughs> I would like to try that, but we don't have it. We have axe throwing here, but we don't it's have amazing. curling. It's amazing. Um, curling is so much fun. It it's, looks like it. It's a lot of fun. And the curling, well, at least the Detroit Curling Club was set up a little bit like a, just like a bowling alley. So it was just like very laid back. And then people got drunk while they watched you. And while they did it. Yeah. Well, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> the ice was is pebbled, you know? It's a very interesting surface. So you can walk on it. Really? Yeah, it's not smooth. It is pebbled. Oh. It's like yeah. it's I had like no idea. Like a pond after sleep. I didn't yeah. I didn't I didn't know either until I was out on it curling. All right, which Olympic team was the subject of a 1993 Disney comedy? The Russian synchronized swimming team? <laughs> it's a hockey, hockey team. No, 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 no. That's I knew that that wouldn't be a comedy. The Danish gymnastics team. Oh, the, the bobsled. The Jamaican, Jamaican bobsled team. Jamaican bobsledders, yeah. Cool runnings. Cool runnings. Yeah, cool runnings. In addition to biathlon, what is the only other winter sport in which the United States have never won a gold medal? Ski jumping? Ice hockey, incorrect, 1960-1980. Cross-country skiing, figure skating, and Nordic combined. Cross-country skiing. What the hell is Nordic combined? That's that's where you do the jumping, uh, ski jumping, and something else, I believe, right? Do you think we won that? No, I think we we've never won cross country skiing. I've all right. I'll pick that. No, it's Nordic combined. That <laughs> oh, sounds like something we wouldn't win because I, I think that... the word Nordic is in it. <laughs> yeah, Nordic. I'm not doing no Nordic. <laughs> we don't really do well on any of the the those sorts of outdoor sports, particularly the ski. The cross-country skiing stuff, so the, whatever that includes, I know that only from my viewing of previous Olympics. I feel like we—they put snowboarding. Why. I feel like they put snowboarding in there so we can win things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> it wasn't I for that. Why? Why? Why does why does a nation filled with like great athletes? Like, not do well in any one particular event. What do you mean? I think that's... Because uh, we don't privilege it in any way. You know, there's... You know, like, when I went to Norway a few years ago, um, I I went to several places in Norway, but in each of them, they had these very large cross-country skiing trails that were lit up at night, and, and people would just go after work. They took their skis... Yeah. You know, That's with them thing. to work, and then they got you know went to the hmm. the area, and they just started skiing, and it's lit up all night, so that you can ski twenty four hours, and um, it, it was phenomenal. I mean, that's just one example. We don't we don't do a lot of that here, even in areas yeah. where it's available. I believe, and right? If, hmm. if you look at even in the Summer Olympics, we don't win a lot of things. We just dominate a couple things like track and field and swimming and gymnastics. Right. right. Where there's a lot and of ba and events. basketball. Yeah. Oh, b basketball doesn't even count. Why? I mean, because it's a, I mean, it's the <laughs> NBA. It's NBA all-star teams. 
So it's not. It's not. Yeah. That is not like competing against Bulgaria's national team. It's terrible. We still win. Yeah. But we shouldn't. <laughs> we shouldn't. Well, Russia was in the gold medal game and they sent all their professional hockey players. We didn't. Listen, we just let Russia do what they want to do in fear. Yeah. Of what? <laughs> the Ukraine is facing right now. I'm not scared of Russia. Well, you right. should be. What country has won both the most? What country has won both the most gold medals and the most medals overall in the Winter Olympics? United States, Russia, Soviet Union, Canada, or Norway? Norway. I think it's Norway. I believe it's Norway. It is Norway. 98 gold medals and 98 silver medals and 84 bronze medals. 280 total. Well, that's a little country to dominate one Olympic Games. But they, they, I mean, but this is like, like in Europe, if somebody, if a ball lands in front of you, right? A child in Europe, if a ball lands in front of them, they kick it back. In America, they pick it up and throw it. It's just a different, it's a different way of, of, of playing and, and then moving on into more organized sports. It's a, it's just a different, it's a different mindset. If the ball lands in front of me, I kick it behind me. (laughs) True story. Actual, actually happened. (laughs) She tried to kick the ball to my coworker and it went backwards. (laughs) <laughs> i've seen people bowl backwards so i i see that i can understand that because it's a heavy thing that you don't like tossing the ball through your legs no like with the with the three you know the three finger they're, hold and their backswing oh. they just lo- they lose just their lose, grip and it goes they backwards. lose their shit and it just it yeah. goes back yeah they get a ball that's too like some dude thinks I'm gonna bowl with a 15 pounder because I'm a guy, and they, that's just, what happens. It's too massive for him. Which I do bowl with a 15 pound ball. But. Thank you for no. adding that. <laughs> we needed the. <laughs> who I was the, about to ask. <laughs> who is the oldest person to receive a Winter Olympics medal? Sonia Henny, Avery Burndage, Andres Hugen, Jeff Payne. I don't know. Andres Hugen. Did oh, no, you just Anders. want to say that name? It is Anders Hugen, the American, the Norwegian American, was 84 it. when he received his ski jump bronze. That's right. Man, wow. 84. Yep. Wow. wow. 50 years after he competed in 1924. Oh, man, that don't count. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't ski jump when he was 84. They fucked up the scoring and they fixed it 50 years later and he got his medal. <laughs> that's okay. so much less than that's he so won. not he did, but that's so he got a bronze because they they messed up the scoring. So 50 years later he got his medal. Now that would be something. An 84-year-old dude ski jumping. Like, how did he not 
fall apart like Legos when he landed. Because he's Norwegian. Yeah. He's of Norwegian stock. Those people don't fall apart. Norwegian. Are, they're American. Vikings. Yeah. Apparently. Who, what, are the, what are the only two countries south of the equator to win medals at the Winter Olympic Games? Australia and Argentina, New Zealand and South Africa, Australia and New Zealand, South Africa and Argentina. That's too confusing. I know. There's too many, too many choices. Um, Something was South Africa. One of the South Africas. South Africa and New Zealand. Sure. Let's go with that. All right, I'll pick that. I'm going to go Australia and Argentina. Oh, you're right. Australia's won five Winter Olympic medals. Oh, no, I picked Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> That's what it was. New Zealand has won one. Probably snowboarding. Which of the following named for a former Winter Olympic gold medalist is a real move in figure skating? The Hamel Camel, the Fleming Fling, the Whip Flip, the Heaney Halo. <laughs> which one is which one is real yeah the, i believe it's the wit flip the hamel camel oh, is it dorothy the hamel, hamel dorothy hamel was a u.s champion from 74 to 76 she is credited with developing a new skating move a camel spin that turns it to a sit spin which became known as the hamel camel who is Maybe. the youngest athlete sorry what I I I really thought, and I'm just sorry to know that it's not the wit flip. I guess it never took off. <laughs> I, I rather enjoy seeing it when it happens, though. That's Who a thing that you can watch. Well, yeah, there once in a while, like in the you know when they do their expository stuff that they don't get judged on, yeah. and they do a backflip or a front flip. Oh. Right? Which is illegal stuff, and yeah, yeah, stuff they can't, they're not allowed to do. The cool shit. Who is the youngest athlete to ever win a gold medal at the Olympic Winter Games? Tara Lipinski, Donat Acklin, Johan Olav, Koss, Christopher Dean. I think it was Tara Lipinski. Or maybe she was just skating. She what, 15 years old? Nagano, 1998. That seems Which like is... it was yesterday. <laughs> I know. Isn't that frightening? Mm -hmm. I like her better now as a commentator. Than I, I like her as a scare. I love the two of them together. <laughs> They're such an interesting duo. And what a what a boon for skating to have Johnny Weir as a commentator. Yeah. I mean, who knew that he would just take off as grandly as he has? Well, he's very funny and very uh he's just oh, so he, entertaining he is he is an intelligent man he yeah. speaks like three different languages fluently like complete fluency i think it's russian french and i believe it's an an asian language so three that have nothing to do with each other no no that's not like french and spanish where it's kind of like you can it's not like in, like American English and British English and Canadian English. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and for some people, that is that is a stretch. <laughs> Do 
No, he's incredibly intelligent. Like, like just like super smart. And he's very clever. He's quick. What was the first Canadian city to host the Olymp- Winter Olympics? Montreal, Edmonton, Calgary, Ottawa. Montreal. Megan? Yep. Incorrect. No idea. Oh, Calgary. what? 88 Calgary. Calgary. Yep. Really? There was no. Montreal. Oh, was that the Summer Olympics? Summer Games. Ah, ah, okay. In the 60s, I think. That's surprising. 62, I think, was Summer Games in Montreal. That's surprising. Yeah. Because Canada's winter. Yep. And 2010 was Vancouver. Yeah, I remember that. I remember Calgary. And I remember it was confusing because people were on horses wearing cowboy hats. And I didn't understand that until I looked on a map. It's in the middle there. Yep. I work with someone from Calgary. She said it's a lot like Denver, if you want to compare it to a U.S. city. Never been to Denver. Oh, where? Okay. What distinguishes the opening and closing ceremonies of the 2010 Winter Games in Vancouver from previous games? It did not include a torch ceremony. Yes, it did. It did not involve use of fossil fuels. Maybe. It'll be half as long. I don't know. It'll be held indoors. In I don't know. I don't know either. Let's indoors? go with fossil fuels for fun. Oh, okay. It was bo- it was held indoors. All right. So let's do a couple more and not all 25. Who is the only U.S. athlete to win a gold medal in the 1968 Winter Olympics? Susan... Karak, Judy Crawford, Barbara Cochran, or Peggy Fleming? Peggy, Peggy Fleming. Fleming. Yeah. Which Winter Olympian won the most career medals? Claudia Pexton, Bjorn Dolly, jeez, Eric Hayden, Lydia, holy shit, Skoblikova. <laughs> Bjorn. Bjorn. Yes. I knew it. What was slalom skiing gold medalist Alberto Tomba's nickname? La Bamba, La Tigre, Il Fantastico, Alpino. <laughs> La Bamba, La Bamba. That's right. In 1980, oh, we're going to end on this one. In 1980, which 1980 Winter Olympic event became known as the Miracle on Ice? Oh, that's difficult. That's so difficult. It's got to be curling. It's got to be that U.S.-Russian <laughs> curling for the gold medal. I'm, I'm sure of it. Incorrect. Oh. The United States team made up of amateur and collegiate players, <laughs> led by coach Herb Brooks, rest in peace, defeated the Soviet Union team, which was considered the best hockey team in the world. Everyone knows that. The biggest upset in sports history. Yep. All right. That was fun. So, where did I put my... That's not what I want. That's the one I want. All right. So, do you want me to go right into the synopsis, Megan? Yeah. All right. So, Rebel by Beverly Jenkins. 
Rebel is the first novel in Beverly Jenkins' series following a northern black woman's uh, journey to the deep south post-Civil War. Belinda Lacey goes to New Orleans trying to help the newly emancipated community survive, thrive, and flourish. But soon she discovers that freedom comes at a cost. Racists destroy her school, she set up, and then they set their sights on her. Belinda runs for her life and straight into the big, capable arms of Captain Drake Levesque. Big. Captain Levesque is in... <laughs> These arms are big. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Levesque is an architect from an old New Orleans family, which gives him a deep personal interest in rebuilding the city. He was raised by a strong single mother, and he sees the same strong will in Belinda. Needless to say, he can't stop pining after her. After I wrote that, I was like, that's kind of weird. Because he sees his mom, and so... <laughs> oh, like oh that, never, yeah, that never occurred to me. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Uh, it is safe to say Belinda makes Captain Levesque stand at attention. <laughs> I like that, Jonathan. That's a nice addition. <laughs> he always has so, a good pun at the end. So I did, I did a little. So before we get into discussion, I want to mention that we chose we choose black authors during Black History Month for obvious reasons. And I thought that the, the for me the book did a good job of letting me go in someone else's shoes, especially a black person's shoes during Reconstruction, which I've never read a book that's done that. Like we read the other Beverly Jenkins book, but that wasn't in the South; that was in Wyoming. And I think that was after Reconstruction, wasn't it? I don't know. And I think this it was is in her the first 1880s. book, so it must have been. And I couldn't tell you when Reconstruction is. Reconstruction was 1865 to 1877. But basically ended in 1871. But there were some things that happened specifically in 1877 that that cemented it. It's done. Uh, federal troops were removed from the South. So um, once that was done, it marked the the end of 1877, but Northern interest in Reconstruction had waned by 1871. Okay. I so, I, I remember, like, history class in school, it was all, it was nothing but Reconstruction. Like, there was just, like, years of Reconstruction. Yeah. Well, I mean... The Civil War was 1861 to 1865, comparatively, right? And mm -hmm. then the aftermath of, obviously, our, our, our slaving legacy plus right. the Civil War stretched, you know, uh, 12 years. So, <laughs> And beyond. And, and I was just going to say, and <laughs> continues to do so to this day, unfortunately. Yeah. Did you change rooms? I did. <laughs> it was during trivia. Oh, I was uh, looking up. Yeah, everyone right. was cutting out. So I was trying to, you know, get on a lower level. But I think I'm going to go back upstairs because I hear an echo. I'm echoing. If you come downstairs and we close the door, it should be okay. 
I think I'll be fine. I just, that's why I'm not talking a lot. I don't hear an echo from you. You don't? I I do not. I don't either. Oh, okay. Then I'm fine here. All right. So, Patriot, you took notes. I'll start with one question for both of you. So, what was your overall feeling of the story? And did it grab you? If not, what are some criticisms? The floor is yours. Holy cow. <laughs> because that's like all my notes. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I started with it. <laughs> You're starting with Petra? I don't care oh. who starts. That's why I started with that question. Because that's no, all I'm asking. Notes. I, I'm asking. I thought you assigned one of us. Oh. I couldn't remember who Petra you assigned. Petra can go first. She's, Petra she's can guest. go first. Um, I... There were many things that I enjoyed about this book, um, and, and Drake Levesque being being the 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 pinnacle of the book for me. So I enjoyed the hero very much, um, and I didn't mind the heroine Val. Um, the story I thought was good. Um, and I enjoyed very much the historical moment in which this this romance was set, um, especially um, because it, it was so tumultuous. It's it's nice to see such a beautiful story come out of a, a period of tumult um, as the Reconstruction. But I, I there were a number of things that I that I did not like about it. Um, but but I don't think it was Beverly Jenkins. Um, again, I blame this on the the Avon formula and and romance readers in general, who I believe have influenced the genre in such a manner that romances can only be constructed in a certain manner these days. Contemporary, and by contemporary, I'm going to say the past ten years. Um, so you you think it's more of an Avon thing? I do. I do. Because I mean, Megan's in the past, well, not that far in the past, but she's, you know, she's mentioned how black authors and especially black female authors kind of don't get treated as fairly by their publishers. You think So you think it more is an Avon thing and not a not anything right. as bad as that. Beverly Jenkins is it incredibly um well-respected author she's won a number of awards she uh she's she's done a lot of work she writes contemporary as well as historical um multicultural romance she um and she's a michigan native which which Mm -hmm. appeals to me i i don't think i don't think what i didn't like about it came from beverly jenkins i believe what i didn't like about it came from this particular formula and and as i've mentioned to um to megan the other day it's now my impression that this formula is is being mandated by romance readers um they're the the audience is creating the formula instead of authors being able to put out the story that they want um and and i'll give you an example of that um i i wrote to uh megan earlier that i was looking up um historical romance um, agencies, right? Like agents tied to historical romance authors. And all of them 
they had different things, you know, they, they, they write down, Hey, I am looking for these kinds of books. These are the kinds of books I like to read, so on and so forth, submit to me. And, um, all of them contained four things, um, amongst some other dissimilarities, but all of them wanted whimsy. They wanted Mm -hmm. humor. They wanted sweet pets or rescued animals being part of the story. And they also wanted something that was called a cozy feel, right? And I see this every single day um, when I look at romance reviewers. They go nuts about any one of those four traits. Mm-hmm. And, and I do believe that, that the, the feedback that these reviewers give influences the genre. For example, this. One review I read of this particular book, and I have read this countless books, but this was for Rebel. The reviewer said this, I had some real problems with this romance because number one, Drake Levesque, the hero, was um, intertwined with another woman when he met Val and started flirting with her. And Mm -hmm. that presented problems for that particular reviewer. And that reviewer thought that the book would have succeeded for her as five stars had Drake Levesque not had a mistress, mistress. right? And, And for me, that kind of blatant disregard for reality is just so hard to swallow, especially when that mistress was written as somebody who was not even meaningful to the hero, right? Right. And whom the hero broke up with in order to set up that, that utopian romance that, that reviewers demand. And, um, what it, it just bothers me that people don't, that, that, that all of this has to be a fairy tale. Yes. When I read a romance, I, I do like the happy ending and I do like the fairy tale aspect. I mean, I do read it as an escape, but at the same time, I groan every time I read about these perfect characters, you know, who's like when they first introduced Val in this particular book, she was looking at her students and her heart swelled. Yes. And I just, I cannot stand or stomach that, that goodness that one must have in a hero yeah. or a heroine in order to buy into the romance. Yeah. And without lingering upon the subject, this is why I love St. Vincent from the Claypaws books, mm-hmm. because he was completely wrong and fucked up and bad, and you could still buy into the romance. That that is ideal i i think if you can have a flawed a flawed hero that's not just afraid of love or tortured in some way but somebody who's really made some life mistakes who's not good but can still have good in them in order to find love yeah and that really bothers me i think it infantilizes the women mm-hmm. and it turns the men into um, it, it completely unrealistic characters. I mean, the Drake Levesque here is what thirty years old or something like that. The idea that he has remained a virgin and not looked or thought about or had interest in another woman until he meets this one is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I, 
I don't know what world a reviewer lives in when they say that that ruined it for him, the fact that that he had a mistress. But he's also supposed to be at the same time, the burden that the hero carries is he's also supposed to be um, exceptional uh, love and lovemaking, right? He's supposed to be like <laughs> this extremely incredible lover, but with no experience whatsoever. No practice. Right? Yeah. Unless he's a rake, unless we have the rake trope. Right. Doesn't sound like he's a rake. No. No. He just, he's I not. think he's just like a normal dude. Like he yeah. had a he had a lover. I don't I don't know why that is so distasteful to audiences. I think it's so much better that she was a mistress and he, he mentioned that it's transactional for her. It's transactional for him. They have a great time when they're together, but both of them are not looking for anything long term. She wants, you know, she wants a home. She's leaving him halfway through the book or a third of the way through the book for someone richer. Right. But that's that makes perfect sense to me. And and to me, that's an empowered female character as exactly. well. Exactly. Exactly. She made it. She made a decision to to get with this guy to get what she could off of him, and uh, you know now she's going to go for a bigger dog who can provide her with more, mm-hmm. and move bigger. to Mexico and and have her happy ending. Yep. Bigger you know? arms. Bigger, bigger arms, probably. I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I just want to point something out. This is so, this is so superficial of me, but I look at the cover of this, and I'm staring at it right now as we're speaking. These mm-hmm. are two of the most beautiful people I've ever seen in my life on on the they cover are. of this book. Um, and Beverly Jenkins continually refers to Val as being small. And to me, that meant in height, but now I yeah. think it meant in girth. Because l- I'm looking at this picture. This woman's six feet tall. I know. <laughs> Am I? Was that confusing to you? Uh, I just assumed that they get who they can get on the oh. cover. I, I kind of assume the cover has nothing to do with the book. I was actually surprised when they described her tight bun in the book. And right. there's actually a tight bun on the cover. I was right. like, what? What? They yep. actually did what the cover said. Yeah, in her gold wedding dress too, which is yeah. Not oh yeah, I didn't. And she's that. she's gorgeous. Yes, she is. And so is he. I mean, this is a their pose isn't very hot, but the, both people are very hot. Yeah, I like the cover of this. I and I think I saw the cover and I saw and I read the prem or I yeah I read the premise. I didn't even think I read the synopsis. I just knew. I saw the premise somewhere and I was like, New Orleans, Beverly Jenkins, Captain Drake Levesque, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I fell for him the very first moment he opened his mouth. I was yeah. like, this guy is something. But then it just never took off from there. Exactly. And that was difficult for me. Um, I'm going to say just flat out what you're not saying. Like, I don't like this book. I, I really okay. think. <laughs> I promised you I wouldn't say that. I don't like no, it I know. Either. I know. Um, but, I mean, I'm not going to totally slam it. It has merits. And I can see. I can see where this book failed. And I know. I know you can too, Patreon. And I think other people will as well. Like, you can see where it failed. And what. And I don't. It is not on the same par as every other Beverly Jenkins novel, and it is—it's odd. 
This is my, this is my, I know Beverly Jenkins well, but this is my first, this is my first experience with her. Yeah. And her other books aren't, don't read this infuriatingly you think lower it's her first one? Her first See, novel? This is not. This is not. It says on the. No, it's the first novel in this series. Yeah. This particular series. Yeah. Okay. And last Um, year we read Wild Rain, which is book two of this series. And that was better. I, I, again, I'm going to have to blame editing. I I think that for an author to win the sorts of awards she is and to be as beloved as she is, she cannot be writing at such a, like one note. No, there was no complexity um, it, the, it, there was no elevation and no declination. It was just a steady line from beginning to end with a couple of sex scenes and, and that was it. And even the scenes where we're supposed to be terrified, um, when, you know, people are, their lives are being threatened. Yeah, no, by, You know, no, I, 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 there was no emotion. There was no emotion to this right. book and I'm going to blame it on a shitty editor. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, and I think somebody were... somebody sucked the life out of this book. Yeah, and and left what we have behind. It's just a pale carcass of its former self, I believe. It is, and I think it's it's such a disservice because her characters are so great. She's such a needed voice. She's in. in publishing we need these stories yes i agree america needs these stories and then for them to be not as great as they could have been i think it's doing beverly jenkins a disservice it is um i can't imagine that she would have written this without any life whatsoever i I mean i gotta see it like there are hints of it sometimes mostly in the sex scenes where she like you can tell like this woman knows how to put words together right but it's like yeah (laughs) and i i i don't want to say this because i i don't you know i i don't know if she she uses one or not and i'm going to assume that she does not but it's almost as if a ghostwriter had written it Mm -hmm. it was her story her conception, her characters, but not, not, a, 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 there was, this is not a unique voice. No. That I'm, in, that I'm hearing. In her, in her other book, I'll go, I'll go to Indigo because I, that's my favorite. And I think that's her best work. Um, and maybe that's because she had more time to put it out. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was her second book. So I don't it's think a great she, title. she didn't have, it is. And, um, the character's name is indigo and it's a great name for the character because her hands are stained indigo with a dye from her former, like being formerly enslaved when she was a child and working with the indigo pots. Interesting. Um, and that is set in Michigan, uh, during, I think that is also during reconstruction. No, it's during, no, it's during slavery because of the fugitive slave act. Anyway, um indigo was so complex and you know beverly jenkins is telling stories that white people don't know because right history isn't taught in, in school right and most people don't go out of their way to read it after school right um she's finding stories about real people that existed in history um 
and and bringing them to life. And she does it in her previous books. She does that in a way that she's teaching a history lesson while telling you a story. And it's just, it's an effortless cross between the two. And this, this was not effortless. No, this was, you know, between every single dialogue for the first three chapters, there was a, there was a description of why they were saying what they were saying. Right. It's like dialogue about the Freedmen's Bureau. The Freedmen's Bureau was founded in blah, 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 blah. And it served to blah, blah, blah. Like, it, I, you know what? I know it it's amateur. a thing. Like, don't, don't info dump. But you also can't info dump between every bit of dialogue. The, okay, for me, there's two ways in which historicals are, are written. And one is they, the, the historical sensibility of the book is a background, just a complete backdrop. It just happens to take place in 1867, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's others, historicals, that use history to influence the romance itself. Mm -hmm. In this one, I couldn't tell which, what, which one was which? Was this the backdrop, or am, or is somehow the bureau going to influence? Like the romance was not at the center of this book at all. The romance, to me, seemed often, often the margins somewhere. Yeah, and that's that's I I think what's what's most lacking because if it's not at the fore of the book, mm -hmm. and if you're writing about stuff that then has nothing to do with the romance, then why are we reading it? A lot of scenes I marked and I said, why does this scene exist? Right. And, and, and why am I being introduced to these characters? How is this, how is this influencing the romance story in some way? Right. Um, and I know oftentimes and, and, and you don't really know until you finish the book. And then you can go back and say, okay, now that I know how it ends, I can see that, oh, this had to be included for this. And this scene was necessary for this to happen and so on and so forth. But here I, I felt just info dump, like you said. Yeah. And I think maybe if all of those scenes had been expanded on, like this book was pretty short. It for was. historical romance. If it was maybe a, like 10,000 words longer, it, it would have helped. Like mm -hmm. just expand, like go more into detail. I don't mind huge paragraphs of info dump as long as you're doing it through the character's lens. Right. And Exactly. And, and it, it's got to be treated in a unique manner that makes sense to the story. Like, yeah. like the, the, the way that it's being told or, or how the information is given. If character just remembers something or if they stumble upon something or if they're doing yeah. right. But this was not any of that. No, this was, was like lines of textbook. Right. It just took you out of the story yeah. mm -hmm. and then put you back in. Um, and, and I don't, I mean, I know that as a writer, I don't do that myself. And so that's why I feel that something very strange is happening here in this book with Beverly Jenkins. And, and I, I, I don't know why, um, but I'm going to blame it on editing. An editor should have caught all of that Same. too and said, this isn't any good. Unless the editor was creating this, this, this more neutral story out of what, maybe Jenkins had submitted. I mean, it's an Avon book. They have, they have a very strict policy about, about how their stories are created. And that's why 
um, Val is is pure and virginal, right? And 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 why this mistress thing was such a huge problem for this particular Avon reviewer, you know? Because in Avon books, that's that's a no no unless you're reading a rake trope, you know? Yeah. Um, and that damn animal thing. Uh, I have to. Oh my god! I I get it. That's that's what readers think that they want because they've read it once and they liked the book. Maybe you've read it in, you know, a highly skilled I this okay, so this is the problem I have with people, <laughs> romance readers. <laughs> <laughs> I want people that. that's a whole bigger story. <laughs> um the problem I have with romance readers is that they'll read something that works really well because of the writing and the author's voice. And they think they like that trope. Like, it's not that they like that trope. Like, the first romance I ever read was in was Sally Thorne's The Hating Game. I love Sally Thorne's voice. I think she's so authentic um, and interesting. So I started looking for other enemies to lovers, and nothing compares with The Hating Game. But it's not that I wanted more enemies to lovers. I wanted Sally Thorne to write more books I don't care what they're about. I only like her writing style. But I think a lot of romance readers, they they read something that works for them because, you know, because that author is just supremely talented um, or just has something that hits that particular reader, like, in their gut. And they think that every book of that trope is going to be similar. And that is not the case. You're, you don't want that trope. You want... Skilled authors. Yes, exactly. You want skilled authors. But but again, I mean, I think, I mean, this is my complaint about society in general, is that, <laughs> is that the, you know, the, the sort of average is where everybody wants to be. Everyone wants mediocre. Everyone yeah. wants the straight line. of They don't want too much and they yeah. don't want too little. They want this thing right in the middle. That's their comfort zone. And they want to stay there. So everything has to be there. And the majority of the world lives in that comfort zone. So so why is every single Marvel movie the same damn movie? Right? It's because people want to consume that movie again and again and again with different characters. And yeah. it's the same with romance. They want to consume romance, they, but they want a different character. And, and romance is a is a big problem, I think, because you have so many one book a day readers. Yeah, it's become an addiction. It has, and it's not that you're that you want. Yeah, it's just more consumption. Like you need more, and you need more, and like whatever is going on, like you're you're craving, and you're always going to be chasing this high, mm-hmm. and. It, it it doesn't matter how good the quality is. Like it doesn't matter what your what your romance is cut with. That, yeah, I I don't know. I think I think it's a problem, and I, I've only seen it in romance. I, yes, um, and I would say YA fantasy slash romance as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Um, and to me, this reads like a YA novel. Um, yeah. And we've we've remarked upon that, um, and I again the com- lacks complexity. Um, 
but I grew up as a fantasy reader. And, mm. and but I think when I was growing up, fantasy and romance, and I've I've spoken a lot how fantasy and erotica overlapped um mm. quite a bit. And and when I started reading, let's say contemporary fantasy in the last 10 years, I don't like it. Um mm. and it's not because it's not good, it's just not the style of fantasy that I want. Yeah. to read, right? But but I'm not I'm not giving people poor reviews because of it, right? I'm not saying, oh, this this can't be high fantasy because it's, you know, it's doing this and this right. I I I'm just saying this is not for me. But romance readers, they're just so personal. Yes. And their their own personal mores and morals get in the way of I think um the be publishers being able to publish more varied and and better um books to be quite yeah. honest with you but again they're they they want to go to that that middle grab that mediocre resignation that a majority of the world has they they just yeah. want to meet meet that that level and that is it and right yeah. now those people demand a, a virginal hero they demand an uncomplicated relationship everyone must be good um, children now are involved in almost every single romance I read. Um, and that drives me crazy. Yeah. It wasn't in this one, which was actually super refreshing. Cause I was that afraid surprises me because everyone be. I know, like can't stand reading children in romance. I think it's because we know cool people. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but we're very similar. So it would, I would assume that your friends are, you know, share the same, same sort of similarities that we do. Um, but yeah, like it's just this cozy, happy family thing that I don't even, I don't even want family involved. My romance, like I want my romance between the man and the woman or the woman, woman, man, like whatever it is, you know, like mm -hmm. I want it between the lovers and that is it. Like, I don't need happy family pets, happy pets no. and, and little babies involved in the situation. But people seem to crave that this, this, this utopian dynamic and people are writing to it. Yeah. And to me, it seems superfluous. So many stories I read, I'm like, why is this little fucking child running around in the background? Like, or, 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 or again, and we've had this in the past, Jonathan, and you can maybe, you know, add to this point in the conversation, but why, why are there so many scenes in contemporary romances where there's men watching women take care of children and they get like, ex I mean, it, it becomes an aphrodisiac. Oh, she's changing that diaper and oh she's she's so good with this child and then you see it often from the woman's point of view too like i don't understand that i don't know <laughs> right i mean that's just like changing a diaper is the same thing as taking out the trash or do anything mowing the lawn well it's mundane it's mundane and i yeah. i think it's i think it's women you know who who want to think that what they do on a daily basis is, Mad. <laughs> you know, an aphrodisiac. 
Like I take care of babies and men. Do they really hot. want that though? Like, do I, well, they want their I don't husbands know. Breaking in and like trying to like have sex with him while they're trying to yeah. change his shitty diaper. No, they want Drake Levesque <laughs> and his big yeah. arms to come in they, and and help them change that shitty diaper. They want like yeah, they want that, and then when it comes time, like oh, I have a headache. <laughs> that no i just want it i don't want to do it i just want it <laughs> they want to be wanted which i think is why like we've had this previous conversation um which is why we see so much of sex <laughs> like the men not getting any relief right because women reading it like like I give my man nothing but relief. What does he give me in real life? So in, in romance, I want the opposite. I want, you know, I want the, I want to see the woman getting off right, and getting woman, off and getting right. off. And the man is just like walks away with his tail between his legs. But, and Drake Levesque is the perfect example of that as well. Like I how know. many hours does he spend in between her thighs? Just, I, I don't know. It was too like, much for me. Like, like five entire nights going down on her and like fingering her and yeah. and like Jesus Christ that I, that's insane to me and never once did we get then he woke up the next morning and had to you know like get himself off like yeah. we never like we never get that scene and that's what I wanted I was waiting for the Drake Levesque solo scene to that would have been fun for me but I don't. It's it because I don't know. For me, like the the best part of the romance sexuality is is men's pleasure in pleasing, not please men's men's delight in the act. Mm-hmm. I it's not what I'm like. What turns me on is the men's delight in the actual act of of the you know whatever sexual thing that they're doing, and um. And and I think it's strange that that delight can't include men coming. I don't I don't know why that's why that's con- consistently left out. But of course, like you said, men you know women feeling like they please and please and please. But at the same time, like I I don't want to punish. Yeah, I think in such a manner. I think that's why I like Tessa Dare. Not only are her stories just so swift, they she is a fantastic storyteller. Her men, like her her heroines are virginal and then they like immediately become whores and they like all they want to do is like go down on the man. It like awakens something and they're like they're in it for the blowjob from then on out. So I, I like that because it's a, it's a happy medium because yeah they're virginal whatever but it, but yeah it, it just it creates a it's an awakening and they don't just lie there they become super active participants. Well, what I really liked about this particular book is that Val was an active participant from the get go. Right. As soon as they started getting physical, she mm-hmm. was she was physically responsive. And I found yeah. that so much more realistic than all of these books where we get these descriptions of these 
virgins, you know, like, and I laid there because I wasn't sure. And then I put my tongue on his cock and then I, you know, like gave it a lick and I looked at him. Is this what you want? Like, it's so awkward and, and weird. And I don't. I don't think it's always that awkward. I think at some point instinctually your body starts like physically reacting. Right. And, and particularly for a woman, if something's going into your body and it's pleasurable, instinctually you react in a certain way. Right. Like Mm -hmm. by, you know, by, by movement. And this is the first heroine where we've had like real movement like without any of the virginal bullshit. Well, I like he's also spent those five days prepping her. Well, you're right. <laughs> but even when it was just his finger, she was like, right? He was like, oh, yeah. and the way she was like moving her hips and you know, yeah. like I find that that's so much more realistic than than the garbage that we have to hear about. And then he cleaned up the blood and he, you know, he wiped her like a baby and, you know, like all of that is just so awkward and lame to me. But I don't know why I keep have to keep having to relive women's deflowering. <laughs> I, and I don't know about your deflowering, but I know about a lot of women's deflowering, like my friends. And, and none of it is what the awkward fuck nuttery that is described in these books (laughs) (laughs) right i just it's never that weird well makes it that weird yeah and you have how many millions of years of dna programmed and coded into your brain and how to make more people that's what (laughs) i mean by instinctual like your body knows what to do if, if it's and the act is supposed to be pleasing so that you do procreate, right? Yeah. And, and get pregnant and, and deliver your sperms. Um, and I just don't understand why this is like the first time I ever read, a, a, you know, a heroine that's actually instinctually knows what to do when, when the act occurs. That was, I get it that was because I, th- I, get it, I get the hesitation because, you know, you're told by society that you women don't enjoy this. So if you start to enjoy it, but then you're telling yourself like, I'm not supposed to enjoy this. This is just an, I'm supposed to lie here and think of England. This is an act (laughs) for the men. (laughs) Wasn't that, wasn't that covered in this book where she said her mom told her she would just, lie there and recite the alphabet and he was usually done by L. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And then Drake was like, uh, okay, that's not how it's supposed to be, so I'll show and, you how it's supposed to be. Right, he's like, take my big arm and yeah. <laughs> and I'll show you. Yeah, he did. He did say that. Um, I, I get that, and I guess I grew up um, you know, I yeah, obviously in a European household. So there was none of this sort of American puritism that that they didn't get any of that. And oh, I, I grew up with all of the puritanism. Yeah. See, I'm I'm lucky I didn't, but I also, you know, was reading these fantasy slash erotica uh romance books ever since I 
is third, fourth grade. Yeah, and that's and another thing. Women, like I, I think women should read them at an early age. I started when I was thirty-eight. So yeah, the women and late. the women in these books enjoy sex and they enjoy being with men. And it never occurred to me that that wasn't natural. Mm. You know, um, so I don't, and so that's why a lot of the virginal shit just bothers me, and and I, it's it's very difficult for me to read, like how awkward and strange it is, because especially when these women are invested in the men, because they're, they're always like, oh, something about him makes me feel crazy. I just want him to touch me there. I just want him to do this, and then when the man does it, they're like, like they recoil. Yeah. I don't understand how these women are so in tune with their bodies and yet they don't, they know nothing. Right. You have to be masturbating at least. And we don't even get that background. And Tessa dare we do. Well, I'll tell you what, in the middle of this, I had to put it down because again, it flatlined. It wasn't going anywhere. And I had to, um, I had to pick up a Kerrigan burn. Oh, really? And, and read that because I, I needed, I, I needed more of that in this book, right? Oh, so and you I, inserted I your own. It. Yeah, well, I mean, I just, I just read Kerr like Kerrigan Burns got this Good Girls series and Good spelled G O O D E. Um, oh, I like that. The double entendre is there, but. Uh, they're they're very short, but they're very well written. And I was like, I just need to I need to read one of these, and 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 get back to the kind of romance that I enjoy, which is, um, again, not not a little bit more lusty and, mm-hmm. and passionate. I didn't feel a lot of romantic tension between these two, yeah, um, characters, even when there should have been. There were many moments for a lot of romantic tension. But it never went there until it went there. And then I was like, wow, that just came out of the blue. Right? I thought the the 80% was really weird. Yes. It was strange. It was very strange. Thank you, Jonathan. I I was going to say, like, because there's so much external conflict with the... uh, the fighting and the burning down of houses and the racists and all that. Do you think that's why there wasn't internals as much like there's seemed to be no internal conflict with the characters. And I think there should have been like with the dad, like I thought it was totally weird how the dad has this whole backstory going. We don't know it until the very end, but her dad was such a controlling asshole and she's just in New Orleans free as a bird. Like he let her go down there by herself. Yeah. Right. That doesn't, how would he have done that? That that's not in keeping with his character. And then she never thinks about him. Like she never has his, toxic thoughts in her head right or the fear that he's going to come get her exactly right she just knows like i'm here for this and until cole comes back uh this is my brief interlude in you know in someplace new this is my adventure like how would her dad let her have that adventure right he was as controlling and, he wouldn't and have he wouldn't have but even if he did sh- there has to be 
again, like Megan said, it has to be on her mind at some point. Right. Yeah. There, it has to go there. You, but you she's know, just, so that we're, she's, yeah, she's just so altruistic. The only yes. thing that's occupying her thoughts is her poor students. Right. Yeah. Which, and, it, that made no sense to me. No. I'm getting thrown out of the house that I live in, but I'm only thinking about my students. <clears throat> right. Right. Like my readers. Like yeah. I need to buy these books. Why? Oh, my poor <laughs> books are lost. And I'm just thinking, woman, you don't have a house. Yeah. And you're worried about a couple books. Like at this point, it was just, it was too much. Again, I believe this is this utopian sort of fantasy that readers are projecting back through reviews and then the publishing companies are responding. You yeah. know, this, it's, they have to have these, these super sweet, super amazing people. Well, you know, nobody's good. Nobody's through and through good. And, and in order to make them good, they infantilize them because no adult would be this good, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they infantilize the woman to keep her good and to keep her safe, you know, for her hero. It, it's really tiring for me, especially yeah. from when these same reviewers proclaim to, we need strong women, we need, you know, like really, yeah. you know, realistic female relationships and strong women. I'm like, you want a strong woman? A strong woman's not going to be a good woman all the time. And you want realistic female relationships? They're, they're shitty. Yes. A lot. They're yes. shitty, catty, crappy, pieces of shit relationships but you're not allowed to show that either instead it's all tea parties and cakes and knitting and little yeah. animals right yeah and yeah it's it's so strange to me that there's this complete disconnect from from reality when they when they claim they want more reality right yeah what they want is more utopia and i think they want more women in books just I think they want lip service. Like their most readers, as long as the character at some point claims to be a feminist, readers are like, "Oh, it's okay because she's a feminist. She right. said it right she there on page it. thirty-seven. Yep, yep. Or if someone, yeah, oh, she's independent because oh, she works in she STEM. Was. She works in right. STEM. It's okay. This yeah. is our strong woman because right. she's in science. Exactly. Yeah. And I find that very strange as well. Um, and you're absolutely right. Oftentimes it's that superficial. Um, one of the things that I found interesting about this book and which I really loved was that we have Val who is, um, she's very strong minded and she is, you know, in her own right down there in New Orleans, very independent and, and, and speaks her mind. She's willful. Um, she doesn't take much shit, although none is really doled out to her, to be quite honest. Um, and she is never once, and oh, this is the saving grace of this book. Never once is she referred to as sassy and smart. Oh, God. Right? I hate the word sassy I hate in romance. The word sassy in romance because it always refers to a woman just talking. Yeah. Oh, she <laughs> she's so sassy, you know, like, oh, she said something clever. She's so sassy and smart. But no, Beverly yeah. Jenkins at least got it right when when there was none of that. And and I credit that to this whole, you know, um, tradition 
that she refers to in, in the Levesque family of having strong, independent women of color who are who are holding the family together, who are keeping the family going, who are who are instructing their men on how to treat and how to respect women. And and in if this was a, a and I dare say this, and I absolutely will, if this were a white author, Val would be a smart and sassy vegan. You know? Um, <laughs> yep. But instead, she's just a normal woman. And I love that about this book. It's just, it's, she's just a woman without the smart, sassy, vegan, cool, you know, like it. it, it. And she's a scientist and she wears glasses, right? Like yeah. it, it's just it, the list. Oh, and she reads. The list goes on and on and on. Oh my God. If she reads, you don't have to, like, that's all you have to do. Like, you don't have to actually do the work to write a character who's smarter than you. As long as you have her reading a book of some yep. kind or claiming to have read a book once in her life, yep. that, that makes your character smart. Like, that's code for I have written a smart heroine. And and didn't we see that in Emma when when she was trying to better herself by reading? And they're she laughing at her, it. right? They're laughing at her because, like, you can't even get through a book. And she's like, no. And she, you know, holding the book, like, I am bettering myself by reading, right? And mm-hmm. so long ago, in, in the early 19th century, Jane Austen had already taken that trope and stomped <laughs> all the fuck over it. And, and yet women today, young women, are still stuck on it. Yeah. Why are they always vegans? Uh, because that makes you an interesting person, right? Jonathan. No, it doesn't. Uh, we know that, but we know that. We know that. We know that. I, I just, I got to get this off my chest. This whole smart, sassy vegans who end up getting like the, the all those tropes where it's the captain of the football team, the captain of the hockey team, right? Like, yeah, the 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 alpha male. Um, cool guy who's making fun of all the vegan nerds right and then so tames him well she doesn't tame him what she does is she fucking beats the shit out of him and bullies him to death with her smart sassy vegan attitude and to me that's the same thing that she hates in captain of hockey team is what she does to captain of hockey team right Makes fun mm-hmm. of him. Like he makes fun yeah. of, you know, and it that trope drives me crazy because it's not cool just because you're a woman. It's not cool to be an asshole just because you're a woman. And in so many of these books, we've talked about this. The women are complete dicks and it drives me crazy. Well, I think, and a lot of uh, talk about romance readers and their use of the term sports ball, which I will forever hate. And, and you hate sports. <laughs> I hate sports, but I don't disparage them because I it because it's just not for me. Like don't call it like romance readers are so bad about referring to sports ball as if like these are big dumb jocks. Like yep. you can't best me. I'm a reader and I'm going to call your thing sports ball because there can't possibly be anything intelligent involved in sports. Right. Yeah. It drives me crazy too. Uh, so that that's just like the romance reader bullying the bullying the you know sports lover. Yeah. Yeah. I I uh I got on the whiteboard with the kids that make fun of football cuz like 
it's just stupid people play it. And I drew mm-hmm. up a play, like a double pulling guard play. It's like, what is this? It's like, this is those fat 300 pound guys you say are unathletic running faster than you'll ever run in your life. <laughs> At the same time, like, like a synchronized swimmer is like, but still. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to, um, a, a friend of mine took me through the, uh, the lion's training, um, center here, um, mm you know, just near Detroit. And, um, I was, I'd never, obviously, I, it's not like I hang out in, in pro sports training centers all the time, but it never occurred to me, even as a lifelong athlete, although never an athlete of, of, of football, to be quite honest, um, that there was be so many classrooms. And as mm-hmm. I walked through this place, it looked like a high school to me. I mean, there was a gym, like a literal gym, like my high school gym. There was Mm -hmm. the outdoor field, a gym. And then there was like the training gym with all the equipment and then the Mm -hmm. the training room with all the, you know, the the rehab stuff. But then it was all classrooms, like regular little desks and like in the whiteboard at the front classrooms. And there, there was dozens of these classrooms. And... And, you know, where they, they watched their tape and ran through stuff or like whatever, you know. Um, and it just that had never occurred to me how many hours the athlete then also spends. I mean, I saw it in high school. The guys like they would go after school, you know, and sit in this little classroom, the football team, and they would do stuff. But it was like, you know, like a half an hour a day. Right. Like it never occurred to me how much time pro athlete teams spend on that educational portion of the profession right especially especially at the nfl level where you're not those guys don't need to practice they're they're the best players in the world like they practice on the field less than you think they do and they're the lions the lions need to practice well (laughs) (laughs) no you're right jonathan please go on and also those guys are expensive yeah. The more you practice, the more chance of them getting injured to not play on Sunday. Yeah. So you like most of their practice, most of their time is spent on film and dissecting things. So that's probably where the Lions aren't very good. Well, they have the classrooms. I've seen them. I know they I've do. I've seen them. but i think what the the super bowl proved to me at the very least was not how great the rams were but um exactly how shitty the lions have been yeah that's what the super bowl proved to me i was like wow stafford just won a super bowl how shitty are the lions his his first year out of his first year out of detroit (laughs) that motherfucker and I just thought, my God, I can't believe I'm seeing how bad the Lions suck and they're not even on screen, you know? <laughs> so I do not feel bad for the Lions fans at all, because if you're a Lions fan, chances are you're a Red Wings fan. Listen, and they got Jonathan, to live it up. Listen, listen, Jonathan, you just stop. You hold your tongue. You don't. Go, we're not talking about the Red Wings. Well, the Red Wings won how many Stanley Cups in a very little period of time? A very little period. The many little periods of times. Yeah. So 
I don't feel bad. Just like I don't feel bad for Cubs fans because you're probably a Bulls fan. Mm-hmm. We're just not. I mean, the I've Michigan's actually divided. Upper Michigan, like the northern part of Michigan, and um, the UP. Those are Packers yeah. fans because yeah. the Packers are closer to them geographically Especially, than Detroit. Yeah. Is. yeah, so they're they're Packers fans. And it's the UP's attached to Wisconsin. <laughs> Pardon? Yeah. Yes, the we UP's are. attached to Wisconsin. It's not even touching Michigan. Is it? Well, no, because it's a peninsula. Yeah. Yeah, it's so a peninsula how, off Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. So how does Wisconsin not have it? <laughs> because we took it. You took it from Ohio. <laughs> We took it from Canada. We took it from Canada. We're Michigan. We took it from Canada. But the the whole, isn't the whole battle of Toledo like over the UP or is that over Toledo? No, that, that was the, the UP was granted with Michigan when Michigan received statehood. It was, it's an entirety. Okay. Yeah. But the UP, they don't want to be part of Michigan. They want to be their own fucking country. They want their own secession. They want to be their own nation? Yeah. They want their own secession from Michigan and from the United States. They're a bit like Texas, except much, 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 much smaller. That's interesting. And under snow. Packers fans. (laughs) Yeah. I I told you we'd get off on a fun side conversation. (laughs) But, you know, so I, I guess for me... Um, you know, like we said, the, the editing, this, this Avon romance and this sort of reviewer reader expectation, I believe has, has unfortunately given us rebel and it's given us a lot of rebels, you know, not, not just this book, but many that could be better, but because of what audiences expect, I think are flatlining. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, like, and that's with trad publishing, and then you've got like the flip side of the coin with indie, like you've got these like indie authors and we're all over the place because yeah. I'm an indie author. We are all over the place because some of us are indie because we want to make sure that like I I want to write my weird romances for people who work in weird Industries. And I, I love how you say that. And I'm, I always sit here when you say that. And I think they're not weird. It's just totally normal to me, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> death workers and morgues and, and funeral homes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, wait, am I weird? <laughs> <laughs> well, I use weird very, um, you know, like adoringly because that I wouldn't have it any other way, but I want to write that. Like, and I think, just because you just because you are not a good a good person that's sassy who loves to take in you know the the bird with a broken wing uh, <laughs> and you don't like to sit down and drink your tea and eat fucking cakes and yeah or or have a bottle of wine every night which is the contemporary version of that right because every woman's an alcoholic in a contemporary I- you know, these people with their wines, like, oh how God. do you have time to drink so much wine unless I, you're, you know, a alcoholic? I don't know. I think there are a lot 
of alcoholics that we don't know it. And we start, like I've seen, I've read a lot of recent like women's fiction novels that deal with that, like the mommy alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not so I think funny. It's, no. And it, they're, they're talking about it as though it is a problem. Okay, good. So yeah, no, a lot not. of people make fun of it. They're like, you know, um, it's five o'clock. Do you know what that means? Vodka. And I'm like, what the f- fuck? How did we make that jump? Like, how did we go from like, like just it's five o'clock time to leave work. Like, you know, relax, like to vodka, like <laughs> so quick. It's such a leap for me, but I'm yeah. not a drinker. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't wind it up. Yeah. Every night. Uh, yeah but anyway so indie authors like we we want to do something different a lot of us we're we're independent not because like for no other reason other than we don't want somebody else you know re like editing the life out of our books we want to like write stories about people who are flawed. My heroines are very flawed and my reviews very much reflect it. And readers hate it. Like my readers, some of them do not get my heroines and that's fine. They're not for you. Right. But because like, but I get bad reviews because I haven't written this insipid, sassy, but lovable, Best little friend, girl, like no little girl personality. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you. And that's what we have with Val. I still, I don't understand why this. Now, now I think the, the, the Levex and Drake and his brothers were, were characterized. I think it could have gone a lot farther and it would have been so much more hot. Yeah. I mean, I want to, I want to marry into this family. I want a Levex boy. I I really do. These men seem amazing. Why did he fall in love with Val? The, the most I know that he liked about her was her bottom lip. <laughs> he kept touching her bottom lip. But we, there was never any explanation of why. No, I think it, I to me it read as though he wanted to save somebody. Like he fell in love with her because I I think it speaks to the, like my long running theory that men just settle down when it's their time to settle down and they just marry the one they're with. She Um, happened to be the one that was there. That is, I I don't think that's, that's reality, not theory. I know so many men that do this. They're like, well, I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm 30. I should probably be married. And I was with Anne. So that's what we did. And I'm like, what? You didn't consider it. And then they're like, wonder why they're so miserable years later. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking it's because you just fucking looked at who you were with and said marriage. Okay. Without mm-hmm. putting any thought into the person, just yeah. the, just the act, you know? Yeah. Because it's the thing that you do. Right. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's kind of what happened with Drake. Like he was with this mistress. Um, she dumped him. Yeah, she's already kind of hot for a bow, and she's real tiny and beautiful. Oh, and and the way <laughs> this to me, like I was laughing so hard when she fell asleep in the carriage, and he carried her 
they didn't want to wake her up. So they like carried a baby. her. Right, yes. like a child. They yeah. carried her all the way up to her room and she's still sleeping this whole time. Right, like, like a baby. Not yet yeah, not passed out. Like who sleeps through being picked up out of a carriage? Like how did he get down the stairs with her? It, like I don't care if she weighed 85 pounds. Like how is he getting out of carriage steps that are like jostling and not very it's- Right, this sturdy. is not a not a station wagon. It's no. not that it's it's not the weight, it's that it's it's awkward. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. Like you know like moving a couch. Like, you, you've seen how carriages like bounce up and down when you step down from them. And like so he's bouncing down the carriage steps, carries her all the way up two flights up the steps to to the bedroom where he lays her out on this bed like sleeping beauty and, and like just covers her with a light afghan and right. she's book, sleeping through this yeah lactic acid does not exist right right <laughs> it does not you know and this brings me to another point about the goodness too and I think that's characterized very the infantilization of the woman. You've given the perfect example for that. You know, he's they're treating her and she's behaving like a baby. Um, and then there's this other point about the the woman too, and this really fucking bothers me. And I have made sure that in my writing, the exact opposite is going on. Um, because I feel very strongly about this. I am so tired of these rich, wealthy men offering these women clothing and jewelry, right? And mm-hmm. then these women going, oh, I couldn't possibly, I have oh, a, I have a yes. serviceable pair of shoes. Or, you know, this diamond you've given me is far too large. I'd really much prefer this seed pearl instead. And I'm thinking, are you fucking, like if some man gave me a diamond that weighed down my hand, I'd be on my knees. I wouldn't be saying bring me the seed pearl ring you know like that that would be a moment for a physical interlude and i yep. just say oh yeah i want these dresses and i want 10 more of these i yep. want that mansion and the yacht i'm not a materialistic person but if the man has unbelievable amounts of money like these dukes and these lords and these this the and the Levesque do Oh, please don't get anything for me. Right. I'll wear my threadbare clothing. Just buy right. more primers for my for right my students. For my students. Why does good have to be equated to somebody who who doesn't want to um, look nice or 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 have nice things? The fact that I want nice things in my life, and I'm like looking around my house, and the fact that I enjoy wearing you know, nice clothing, that I enjoy jewelry. That doesn't make me a bad person. That doesn't make me not good. It just makes me a person who happens to enjoy those things. I mean, don't tell me that this woman is going to get married in a a pair of men's shoes that are covered with mud and a nasty old apron that she's been laying in for the last three months. And that's instead of getting a brand new dress and taking the, remember taking a bath, she even didn't want to do because it just seemed like it wasn't the right thing to do unless she asked for permission. So a week later, she asks for permission to mm-hmm. take a bath. I mean, th- taking a bath is not a bad thing. 
Like why are why are why are women who like to who like small extravagances? Why are we shamed for wanting those small extravagances? I don't know. It's, and yet the same people like the same there's there's that whole so that's the message we're sending to romance readers. Well, at the same time, the rest of the world is shouting self-care, self-care. So right. it's this like like which one is it? What is it's it? It's also then? it's also the same people saying that or the ones who say like profit is a dirty word. Right. And exa- and the ones that are, are mad at every every president of every corporation yeah. for for making money by being exceptionally good at their fucking job. Yeah. Or building something from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. And, the, and the only way that that you can be president of a corporation these days in the United States and and be lauded is to to give all of your fucking money away and and live in in you know dirt poor in in shitty clothing, I guess. I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's so strange to me. And at the same time, all these people are bitching that they don't have money to pay, that they need to make more money at their jobs. Well, you can't have it both ways, mm-hmm. you know? And it drives me crazy. I I don't um again, I'm I don't think I'm materialistic, but I like gifts. I would love to receive jewelry. I would love to receive nice being taken shopping my god that's actually like a real life fantasy of mine like Same. i want i want the pretty woman fantasy i want to be taken to a shop and like buy anything you want i would love jewelry i would love gifts like that that is but that's not all i want out of a relationship i would just that that's a fantasy i'd love why are why are we shaming people for for I don't, that i don't know and i don't know if that's just I don't know if that's a coincidence or if that's, you know, the editor's or the publisher's control. Because obviously readers want to read, you know, like the makeover scene. Readers want that shopping spree. Like that's in so many books. It's so huge. And it's in contemporaries. It's in everything. And so why does the heroine or why does the gift recipient have to, you know, slough it off as if it's nothing because obviously readers want that so they have the same fantasy yeah i think it's (sighs) i think it's because to be good you have to say no and then somebody forces it upon you and you still get that same you get the scene but you get to remain guiltless because you've refused it right and somebody has forced it upon you if you read claypas's ravenel series Mm -hmm. um Every single one of those books, they go through a, this ring is too big. I just want something simple. <laughs> I don't want all these new clothes. Why do I have to wear silk when I can wear... Homespun. Uh, right, homespun shit. Like, and I just think to myself, this, this, these women are crazy. These women yeah. are crazy. But that is in every single one of those books. And people love the last two of those books. And, and in those books, the infantilization of women is unreal unfucking real um those so, are avon books too right yes yes they are yeah. yep all of clay Pass's books are avon except for maybe a few of her early ones maybe saint martin's press but yeah so that is that's a thing and it's it and and for me um here the development of the romance was very limited by this goodness 
and to the point of this, she knows that she's marrying a homosexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With whom she will never have a physical connection, right? And right. whom she'll never get physical with. Yet she's so concerned about staying a virgin for him. Did you did you get that? I didn't even no, understand. I what thought was I thought he was concerned about preserving her virginity, but I don't. I don't remember well, her they're, they're having whole, any kind like, of opinion about that. Their whole fake coming apart, where where you know she didn't want to be naked in front of him because that wasn't meant for him, and she didn't want to take it. Uh, that for, they had the conversation. She's like, I don't want to take it that far because that's not for you. Meaning it's for the homosexual man. I'm going to marry who is never going to have sex with me. He gets my virginity. Like I, it was so weird. Yeah. I didn't get that. And that, that was the whole point of their breaking up was this. She didn't understand what she knew. She was in love with him. And she wanted to marry him, but when it came time to saying, yes, I'll remain in this marriage with you, she says no, inexplicably. Yeah. So towards the end, I was sort of skimming. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's what happens. That was their breakdown, was that she says inexplicably, no, I don't want to marry you. When in the previous scene, she had told his sister-in-law that she did want to marry him. And then she says no. That's I'm to marry someone else. And then she says to him, no, I can't go physically far with you because that is for someone else who am I'm never going to have a physical relate. who's never going to fucking touch me. It was so weird to me. Like to me, she's in the perfect arrangement. She can have all the lovers she wants because mm-hmm. she's going to marry. She's going to be a beard for, for a, a gay man. Yeah. So why is she stopping? It was never, it was so weird. It was only explained that that was for him when she knew that she'd never be giving it to him. I don't know. It was, that. It again, that, that just was, it, it was this weird, weird, um, forced, you know, scenario to break them up yeah. so that could come back together. Yeah. And then she didn't wear underwear at her wedding. Did you read that? Yes. She didn't wear underwear at her wedding, which I kind of thought was cool. Um, but like, you know, like it was I like a, that was uncomfortable. Like it was hot, wasn't it? It was like, you know, but they're not the our kind of, of underwear. They're there. I kind know, of but underwear. they're they're like loose and balloony. Right. So, so. what's that going to do? That yeah, wouldn't that be hotter? It would absorb. It would absorb the sweat. Well, how? It doesn't touch the the parts. Well, when you're yeah. sitting, it would. Not like dry fit. No, but <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't. I don't believe in underwear myself. I just I have a, a huge problem with most. Don't go there. But I can't. I, I can't. I, I I love underwear. I like being encased in all of my clothing. See, I just like being naked. I'm a naked. I'm just like a an ever nude. Oh, I you know, hate it. Who was the there was never nude was from um what TV <laughs> program was that? You guys know what I'm talking about. Sounds uh-uh. like Seinfeld. No, it was whatchamacallit. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But if he was a never nude and he showered in his undies and sh- I'm an I'm an ever 
nude. Like I'll just like that's how that I, was, I prefer to live. That was on Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I a never want nude. Anything. I don't want anything on me. Like, was it scrubs? No, it was um arrested development. Oh. Yeah. Megan didn't watch that. I did. Mm-mm. Yeah. The brother-in-law was a never nude. Yeah. Yeah. Not, and uh... um so but it, like so she doesn't wear underwear and I thought well that's kind of cute but we don't find out until they're about to like go to bed for the f- the first time like to have actual penetrative sex for the first time and she's like i didn't wear underwear and he's like why didn't you tell me and i was like well that could have been a cute plot point but it was that's it only came up just like as an afterthought i felt like like yeah and she could have like i mean at that point she could have just taken off her underwear right like so i don't know i mean it probably made her feel sexy all day but i don't even know if that's what you want at a wedding like you've got to deal with all those people. You've got to do your rounds and say hello to people. Like, do you want to be feeling sexy when you're talking to somebody's like great aunt Marge? Yes. Gertrude. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, the answer is yes. I'm, yeah. Well, I'm sure if you're Patreon, you're a, you're an ever nude. <laughs> I I just it, there was so much that I just really I liked. I love the I love Val on the cover. I don't like her so much in the book. And the Levesque family, I just I thought these men are fucking amazing. And I wanted more of them. I didn't but we think... didn't get more. We didn't get enough. We didn't get enough passion. Yeah, I agree. I think I didn't buy into him as much as I probably should have because I I was sort of disappointed that he would like her to begin with. Yeah. Like cuz she gave me so much nothing. Right. I know. I, I was I know. doubting whether or not he was real like and why would he like somebody who has just no personality? He there must be something very wrong with him. Right. So I think that's what I didn't trust I, I wasn't trusting their relationship throughout most of the book. You are much more difficult on the heroes than I am. And so I'm going to accept that. Like that answer from you. I think that's good. Like, I think your answer is right. Like you've hit it on the nose. Like, why would he be interested in this vanilla, like this melted, you know, sort of vanilla ish person mm-hmm. he did call her that one like i wrote you i was really excited yeah. when he called her a sweet drop of chocolate i thought that was cute yeah. but we didn't get enough of that kind of stuff no no like and there was no no terms of endearment no well, i think the the pirate banter but that's uh, yeah, that yeah, not yeah. for me yeah i because i don't consider you know what my <laughs> You know, whatever my great 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 grandparents did, I don't consider that a part of my personality. So, because right. you're descended from pirates, that was still a hundred years ago. Yeah, mine were murderers. So, 
kidnappers. So like, I don't, I'm not going to go there, but, and, and what bothers me too about that is that again, here's a man with a healthy libido, Mm -hmm. clearly passionate, although we would rather have seen it expressed a bit more and they have to explain it away, right? They have to explain away the natural instinctual passion and love and desire and lust by, oh, his pirate behavior. Yeah. And that, again, that, that bothers me so much because why can't a guy just be lusty and passionate and really just want to enjoy a woman? Why is that bad? Why is that pirate? Why can't that just be a lusty, passionate, amazing dude? Mm-hmm. And anytime she gets like uppity, she's piratey too. Right. Explaining it away. Right. And it, it, that, that I have a, and like that's, I, I can't imagine that Beverly Jenkins would have made that choice consciously. I don't explain any of my, any of my characters' behaviors away. I just let them behave. Yeah. I don't like, like she's turned on because she's turned on. She's turned off because she's turned off. Right? Like, they're just people. I... Well, and when you're writing romance and you're writing, you know, romantic historical fiction, yes? Yes. Thank you. That's a good way of putting it. Um, you know, every other genre has characters. Romance has a hero and a heroine. And they're not characters... They're caricatures, like even the best ones. They're just caricatures. And, you know, and anything modern or anything contemporarily written is, you know, if you're not writing a heroine that's just a generic, you know, best friend, if you're writing a heroine with flaws, like it's. It's just not done. Like you have to write. This like spunky, <laughs> sassy vegan, sassy, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and um, yeah, and and but she can't go too far. She can't have actual flaws. Right. She can't be an actual round character. She has to be just. You have to infuse this vanilla pudding with just enough sass to. To make the reader be like, oh, this is this. This person would have would give good banter over a bottle of wine. And right. like that's all readers want. They don't want round characters. No. And they again, the, the they did have banter in here, but I didn't find it as forced as I do yeah. in other books. And I liked that. I I do want to uh, uh, just recognize one last thing. And mm-hmm. and I, I thought I've been thinking about this so hard. Every person we meet in this book has a name. <laughs> yeah. And generally in fiction, when I'm introduced to a character who has a name, it is because that character is meaningful to that particular scene, that chapter. Significant somehow. Or the story. Significance, right? 
Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I'm thinking. Everyone's got a name. I mean, in the very first page, we've got, we've got, you know, like, uh, well, not the first page. The first few pages, we've got like 20 characters that have been introduced. You know, like all of her students have names that never, like, show up again. They're just yeah. in like a sentence with a name. I'm wondering if it's because... um most of these people are, were, and still are invisible to most of the world. People of color. Mm. Maybe. And they should be named, and they should be recognized, and they should be significant, even in the smallest of ways. That's the only, that's the only acceptable reason that I, that I could agree with. I've never seen this in another, in, a, in another romance of this nature. I've no, seen it, does, it, other it seems purposeful. Yeah, it seems very purposeful to me that everyone had a name and everyone was asked their name. And not just their name, but who's your mom, who's your dad, what do they do, who are you, like your family, who are you from, Yeah, right? Like your the, people. Right, the people. Not, and it's not lineage, excuse me, it's your people, right? Mm-hmm. And and it makes sense to me that it's, it's perhaps because, you know... Um, like I said, were and still are overlooked, nameless, faceless, invisible people. Mm. That's a good point. I can't imagine any other reason for, I mean, we get, I don't know if you remember this, but we get the backstory of a lot of her uh, students right up front that are just, yeah. they say one thing and then there's a whole backstory about them and they never, that's it. They've said one line like, hello. And then we get a whole backstory and then they never appear again. Yeah. That made the book hard to get into for me yeah. because we, we start off like right away with her in her students and yeah, that it was so much like this belongs in your notes. Like, yeah, it's a cool backstory, but doesn't belong in this story. But but it could, like, you can make, find a way to make it work. Because I think everybody wants to know these backstories. But maybe, I don't know. I think it's just like, you know, you know, introduce the character, a sentence about them. Introduce the next character, a sentence about them. I don't know. Maybe if it was organized a little bit differently. And I mean, it, and you're right. That's exactly how it was. It was, it was hard. It was like, stop, start, stop, start, stop, yeah. start, stop. And then flatline. Mm-hmm. And then there was a little bit of sex. The sex wasn't, I, I didn't mind her sex scenes because I don't, I don't appreciate that overly graphic Lisa Claypaws stuff we get with the, 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 the plunging through the, you know, the fucking, you know, the, the flesh and then the blood and like, you know, I just, we could just simmer down, Lisa Claypaws. Just simmer down. Like, like this was was okay for me, but it, I didn't feel any buildup. So when it came time for them to be passionate, um, it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's an Instagrammer who started this thing called um, One Hand Reads. Oh, yeah. Right? And yeah. this was definitely not a one hand read. No. Yeah. Uh. This was gross. Oh, go gross. Oh, go gross. No, 
a one hand read. <laughs> I'm not even going to bring up porn, but this is gross. A one hand. No, read is- no. The, the idea of it being <laughs> the concept of a one hand read. That's gross. A little bit. I don't think it is. I know what men do in front of their computers. Not Jonathan. I'm not saying Jonathan does. Yeah, but he has big issues. But I know with that. what I know what many men do in front of their computers and and I don't find it gross. So I can't find I don't find the one hand read gross either. I, I think it's I think it's cute, you know, obviously. It's a cute way of addressing, you know, uh the what do we call it? Pepper level? Yeah, the book boner level. The book boner oh, level. Oh yeah. The pepper level. Yeah, pepper level. <laughs> um, the spice. But um, I mean, and I tell you, that's that's a question I get asked a lot about my book. How spicy is it? Like everyone, like, how much smut? I'm like, I listen, first of all, I don't I don't think I'm writing smut. You know? Uh, yeah. no. Like and second, like let's 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 just simmer down and maybe not just be interested. Like in sex, and if you're that interested in sex, like go to your husband and have sex. But I think this is the problem with with that the romance addiction. Um, like the smut level, like that's what you're really getting at. Like it's I I don't know. Maybe it's a sex addiction. Maybe it's like an addiction to you know a certain feeling that you get even if it's if you're not doing the one-handed read thing if um I, if it's that that feeling of i've never read a romance novel one-handed uh, no it's not they don't they're not like that for me um but I, you know and i tell you once the couple gets together like we've mm-hmm. talked about in the past it's kind of mm-hmm. done for me yeah you know i'm like okay well there it is they're together and in romance that's solidified yeah Yeah. it's i think the tension is fun and not not the witty banter crazy bullshit tension yeah but Mm -hmm. but the development of a relationship is fun for me Mm -hmm. you know how the interactions are fun Mm -hmm. um and and you know there's there's some scenes i like better than others and and this is this was just (laughs) meh I've read when I was in fourth grade, I was reading stuff that was that compared to this was a triple X rating. You know, Mm -hmm. this was so, so very, Mm -hmm. I mean, they never even once like even just, they, they didn't define, although they alluded to, uh, oral sex. But they never right. it. never once did it was it defined openly, which I thought was a little odd. And there was a lot of build up to that with the yeah, but then there was, and begging for forgiveness on his knees. Right. That that was a very awkward scene for me. I was like, okay, dude, again, simmer down. Like, like your wife knows you're gonna you're gonna eat her out later. Like, like you've you've said it. Now you're saying it ten other ways. Like, yeah, <laughs> take it easy. Like, but then they never do it. Our hero and our heroine never do it. Like, it's only alluded to that they do it. Yeah. I'm going to show you what getting on your knees means. Okay. Yes, let's go. And then yeah. they, then we're left in the dust. It all happens off page. Mm-hmm. It was odd. 
it, it yeah. was a very odd uh, coming together of so many things that could have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. And a, a really rich historical time period. Yes. And one that, that again, as we talked about quite early, that many people don't, um, they, they know little about. They know very little about. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, the, the, these people's idea that once the Emancipation Proclamation had been issued, that slavery just disappeared. When, in fact, people were still being enslaved in entirely new ways. Yep. Um, you know, it wasn't all just 40 mules in an acre and everyone's happy. You know, it was it was very different, and 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 I found that I found that a little. It, it just it, it just didn't work. Like nothing came to. It was so disparate, right? Like nothing came together. Yeah, it was like. And I, yeah, I wish we had more. Like I, I was craving more backstory, but give me more. Don't just give me like these little snippets of backstory maybe expound on it like she does that in other books and I feel like we're really taught something new about something we've never known before like with the black perspective right Mm -hmm. and and like I love how she capitalizes the word freedom as if it's like when as a time period or like a change yeah, I, don't, I yeah. don't even know what you would call it because it, it's just everything to these people. Yeah, like before freedom, after freedom, I would I was able to do this, or you know, or their goals when they thought what they thought freedom with a capital F was going to look like, and I loved that. Like, you, yeah, only Beverly Jenkins will give us that perspective in a romance yes. novel, and I I wanted I want more, and I think. I think that's what was so unsatisfying about this book. Like I, I wanted more. I wanted more backstory and I wanted more of that richness that I know she's given in other books. Yes. And backstory that, that worked right. Like, um, right. She brings up at the very end. I feel like she's just throwing shit at us at the end. Yeah. Um, like my name is Abraham Lincoln. And then this guy, over <laughs> here, he's got his, his earlobe um, docked. You know, so that his mother can find him again. Like, why wasn't the guy with the docked earlobe or the missing tip of the finger or yes. um, or like an initial carved into the skin of his shoulder? Why wasn't that person the gardener? Right. Right. So that we could then get a little bit of that story um, while instead of having the gardener be somebody completely different who just was just some other guy. Like, mm-hmm. why not give the gardener that story so that you can bring it up sooner? How exactly. mothers used to, you know, carve initials into their children or, or cut part of their ear or their fingers or, or maim them or mutilate them in some way so that they could find them if they had been sold to another owner. I mean, that is just, I, I get, I'm just, I, I get chills thinking about how fucking horrifying and monumental yeah. that is. And you as a mother, could yeah. you even imagine? No, I was imagining when I read that. And I, I know, I mean, I'm familiar with the practice and just bringing it back. It just. I, yeah. How do you. 
how do you do that? Like you give birth, and, but how do you do any of what the, like the enslaved people did? How do you give up a child? Like, I don't, I don't know. know the the fact of going through a pregnancy, knowing that this baby is not yours. It's the person that owns you. It belongs to the person that owns you. You're just like this, this cow that brought it to life. And then you have no control over where it's going to go and how it's going to be raised and the, the atrocities that it's going to be like people are going to commit against it. Right. Like it just, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrifying, but I want, that's where I feel like, like that's where I want the emotion. I think a romance juxtaposed or like a romance against that backdrop is, is a, why her romance is yes. work, but this didn't, it nothing fit. No. And I mean, the the idea that you would do that to your child, mutilate it, right? Mm-hmm. Out of love. The, the, out of love, but out of hope. Out of mm-hmm. hope. That yeah. is just, that's mind-blowing to me. Out of hope that one day you might be able to find that child again or you would all be free. And you might be able to, f- the hope. The hope. Mm-hmm. There wasn't an there. I just that should have been given more screen time. Yeah. Right. And and instead, it was reduced to some some character walking down the street at the very end of the book, just as mm-hmm. an afterthought. I know you can't include any everything, but if you're going to include it in that manner, again, why not? Uh, why not give that trait to some of her school children or or the gardener? Or, yeah. or the, the woman who owns the, the store, um, you know, whether she's shopping, I, you know, somebody. And I yeah. did think that the one thing that she did do, although it was only mostly talked about except for a very short scene in the store, was that the um, uh, business with, with the people of color against people of color. Yeah. With the Creole. And a yeah. lot of people don't understand that division as well. A lot of people don't understand what it means to be Cajun and what it means to be Creole and what it means to be, I mean, what it means to be Cajun now is quite different than what yeah. it meant to be Cajun in this time period. I've got a Cajun character in my book um, and I'm writing in the same time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's Cajun because he lived in New Orleans and anybody who was um, an outsider who wasn't born in New Orleans, you know, and, 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 and do you want to say like, um, immigrant was a Cajun, Hmm. right? At that time, but in different times, it meant different things, but like that there wasn't enough of that rich, but that's the richness of New Orleans too. Yeah. You know, that, that there is, that there were free, wealthy, industrious, respected people of color, who had slaves? Yeah. Who owned slaves? Mm-hmm. And lived next to slaves, or you know, and all these people are in, in you know, then the white and 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 black and and brown and you know, just all in this this really interesting city. It wasn't all that big for everything that was happening in it. I mean, mm-hmm. that was. I mean, I got a little bit of New Orleans, but I don't think I got a ton of it. Mm-hmm. This could have taken place anywhere. Yeah. To me. 
It didn't have to be that spot. Except for all the women wearing their tignons. Right. There was a lot of that. And then that disappeared. <laughs> and then it made a reappearance. At the yeah. That just... word. I think it, the, the word tignon was uh, italicized. So it was just like glaring every time it was used. Right. And it was used a lot. It a was lot. used a lot. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, for me, my pronunciation is so terrible. So I'm always like, I don't even know how to pronounce these things. So I'm just like, I'm reading. And then she wore a blitter over her head. And the other one wore a blitter over her head. (laughs) It pulled me out. It pulled me out. But um, I just, I felt like. There was so much rich material that could have been used so selectively. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't. Uh, I just to say bad editor. Bad editor. But, you know, there it is. Do we have a book boner level for this book? <laughs> On a scale of one to five, one being non-existent, five being a one-hand read. For me, it was <laughs> one. It was for a me, one for me. Yeah, one. because there was no, I wasn't invested in them getting together. So there was no satisfaction when they were in bed together and things were happening for them. Like, I was just like, fine. Yeah. Yeah. I was it, I, like, I don't care what they do in bed. I care like what it takes to get them there yeah. and how satisfying it is to watch them finally, or maybe not finally, but, but, you know, to watch them you're develop. Rooting. You're rooting for them. That's, yeah. And I wasn't rooting for anyone. I tell you, it was a one for me because of this, just the cover. Mm. I really like, I like the looks of this guy on the cover. He's nice. He's got big arms. Down. He's got big arms. He's got big arms. And I did I did like the setup of how they were this this really passionate like men who who loved women, admired women, respected women, loved women, lusted after women. Um but there wasn't enough that could have gone that could have gone much further to really play up that 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 soul that mm-hmm. these men have and you know we don't get that from a lot of you know of the the other historical heroes because they're all you know lords that you know they've got a with their cravats and their you know their riding boots and shit and they they have to play the society games and whatnot and these men were just like oh you know just i love women <laughs> <laughs> they just screamed that basically like but but you didn't see enough of it it was only hinted at you know mm-hmm. and that one scene where that one guy went a little overboard with the i'm gonna i'm gonna go down on my wife yeah that wasn't particularly passionate i was just like dude like we know and then he said it again i was like we've heard you and then he said it again i was like simmer down and then he said it again i was like we have heard everything yeah <laughs> and then i think it went on like two more times and i was just like what and then what bothered me too was right after that happened then she has the discussion with the wife 
what does it mean when he says go down on your knees? And the and then the, the wife says, well, you'll know what it means when a man goes down on his knees. I'm not the one to tell you what it means to go down on your knees. Well, one day I'll learn what it means. And I'm like, stop talking about it. <laughs> I know. Like, what are you like, we've just heard the conversation. It's excruciating enough <laughs> the first fucking 10 times. Now we have to hear about it 13 more times over here. Yeah. And I think they're, they're from our previous book, that couple. And so maybe that's just to, to you know, drive home the point that they're still in love. They're still fucking. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't yet taken up separate rooms. <laughs> the Levesque men don't do that. That's right. The Levesque men sleep with their women. <laughs> oh, I had not considered that. You've been boning for this man ever since you met him. Like, what are you not considering? <laughs> I see a fucking cover of an illustration of a man on a romance cover. I'm thinking about sleeping with him, you know, but you, <laughs> you've met this man and you still don't consider sleeping with like, it's so weird to me. It was so inconsistent. So inconsistent. I don't know. Well, I don't know if there's anything. There's probably a lot more you can talk about, but I think that's a good place to stop. I feel like I've been shouting. Why am I shouty tonight? <sighs> I don't think you're this, shouting. This, this book just got you riled up. Yeah. It, got you well, fired up. It's got the, well, because I'm looking at the cover and I'm thinking that yeah. <laughs> that cover deserves much more than I received. It does. Oh, well. well. I'm still a reader. I'll I'll go for it again. And we'll see yeah, what happens. Yeah, definitely read Indigo. Okay. But I, I just really was... I, I think I told you, like, I, I'm having... I never give up on books unless they're poorly written. This wasn't poorly, like, line by line, it wasn't poorly written. It was just poorly edited, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I've thrown out books after the first paragraph because they're shitty yeah. writers. Yeah. This was not poorly written, but I just having a heart. I was like, I don't want to finish this. I better pick up some Kerrigan Burn, get me some Scott on. And <laughs> I did. <laughs> and then I went back to this. What? Yeah, I was like dying for a horror novel. Yeah, Megan and I have both agreed. We're kind of hitting a wall in romance a little bit. Are, so we, still, have... are we still reading Mistress of Eagles? We are. It's not, yeah. it's, it's very different than, yeah. than any of this. So I think yeah. I, and the writing style again, so different, but for me, very engaging. And I, I would love to talk about that book. That was one of the first, that, that was one of the first erotic books that I ever read. And I, I, it never left my imagination. That's, that's, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, high praise. Yeah. yeah. So well, I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, I think let's, uh, let's end it there. And next week, I don't know what movie we got. Maybe another McConaughey one, but, uh, I'm not sure, but we'll, you'll see it when it comes out until next week. Goodbye. Thanks again, Patreon for coming. Oh, thank you for having thank me. Thank you.